0: You are listening to You and the Truth, where we
1: will give you the truth face-to-face. Now what you do with it is up to you. Hi and welcome to today's podcast, Cardiac Arrest, The Near Death of an NFL Player, and the Do's and Don'ts. I'm Ralph, uh, sometimes known as Elpin, and I'll be your host today. But before we begin, please make sure you hit the subscribe and like buttons on the bottom of your screen and share this with everyone you know because what you'll hear and see could possibly save someone's life. Now, as you may or may not know, depending on whether you watch professional football, a few weeks ago, a 24-year-old professional football player by the name of Damar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest in the middle of a football game. This event was witnessed by millions on live television and thousands who attended the game. Everyone was in shock as medics tended to this young man, whose body lay sprawled on the football field with his life on the line. Within minutes, those announcing the game on ESPN and other news outlets immediately took to prayer, something unheard of in today's day and age, a public display asking God to intervene and save this young man's life. Well, now that the smoke is cleared, questions are being asked. Why did this happen? How could this possibly happen, especially to a 24-year-old professional athlete in the prime of his career? Those are just two questions, with many more to come, I'm sure. But regardless, one thing is for certain. Had there not been someone around with knowledge of what to do, what not to do, and trained to take action, Damar Hamlin would most likely not be with us today. Thank God he is as he's recovering and doing well. But the real question that we should each be asking ourselves is this. If this were to happen to a loved one or even a stranger in my presence, how would I react? What should I do? What should I not do? Now, most of us with no medical training would be hard-pressed to react in a way that could save that person's life. Because every second counts. These are some of the questions we'll try to answer today, and to do that, let me bring in two of my co-hosts and very good friends, Kyle Goodnight and Jason Rodriguez, both paramedics who have faced situations such as this on many occasions. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. Uh, It's always a pleasure to have you guys on. It's always good to see you guys. Listen, Kyle. Let's start with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, your experience in the medical field? Sure,
0: sure. Well, um, I'm a I'm a full time paramedic. Uh, I'm actually um, uh, on the truck on a daily on a you know. A shift basis. Um, I do have a strong history in the medical field as well. Before becoming a paramedic, I was a respiratory therapist and actually worked in, you know, level one trauma centers and ERs and ICUs. So um, any of those things that have, have, that came up during that week after what, what Ralph for information about in the intro, you know, I've got history on both sides of the fence on that. So um, I can, you know, talk about questions you may have about things that you are heard in the media about different things like that. So but yeah, that's a little bit of cool. Jason?
1: Uh, yeah, Jason.
2: So basically I, I was a firefighter paramedic for about 17 years. Uh just recently retired. Um
0: oh lucky duck.
2: <laughs> yeah, well it was from a line of duty more. Well yeah. Oh, so I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it took me out early. And um at the time I was in medical school, pursuing a PhD program and it kind of put everything on hold um but uh so i have a master's in public health and epidemiology and my uh, basically my bachelor's was in business so i brought it back to the medical field and then was able to get into medical school i was almost done and then uh i got hurt so that kind of changed everything so i'm hoping to get started back with that medical school soon but um yeah
1: excellent man excellent it's okay so listen guys um i feel i'm the total dummy here so i want you to speak to me as if i was a child and the people that are listening most people that are listening to this but have no idea what you guys do no idea what happened that day you're you know you could there's just no way to to do that so kyle let's start with you could you just walk us through because you saw this event live see jason yeah and I, I saw it in real it time okay so yeah. so talk talk us through that Sure.
0: Yeah. You know, I was, we were watching the football game and over at a buddy's house and, you know, and I've watched a lot of football all my time. I played football and I've been a, a paramedic on the sidelines of football games, mainly high school, but I, and a little bit of college, uh, local colleges here locally. But, you know, when, when it happened, what, you know, um, if nobody sees it, we'll we'll run a real quick uh, video of it, real quick here. Percent of the time, so you're essentially a weak side linebacker in the run game as well. Here's Higgins wide open to
1: midfield
0: and lower. As you just got back from seeing the video, you know he got hit like a, a standard tackle. And then stood up from the tackle, kind of stumbled a little bit, and you thought, okay, well, maybe he hit his head in that tackle and then just fell backward like a, like a tree falling. You know, just boom. You're just like all of a sudden just bam. And so you're like, "Oh man, wonder what's going on." And you're thinking concussion because that's really a big stuff in the news right now with everything happening with the, you know, the Dolphins quarterback and all that. And just in concussions in general in the NFL. So that's what you're thinking right off the bat. And then when you get out there and there's people around them and they're not moving, then you're thinking, "Okay, maybe some spinal cord injury." But then all of a sudden when when the first trainer looked up, I went, "Holy S." i think they're getting ready to start cpr on this guy and my friend was like what are you talking about cpr in a football like no he just he just got knocked out and i'm like no there's i and then they cut away they cut away they took us away from the view so we couldn't see all the stuff but the the mayhem that was happening around that player i've seen a hundred times maybe more you know not only in the er setting in the ICU setting, but on the street, you know, in someone's house. I've seen that look well of it's it's down to business time here. This isn't just your run of the mill injury. This is some sort of some sort of major life threatening event. People on radios, just that look in the eye of those trainers and the hustle and bustle. I just had that feeling that we were they were going to start CPR, and then after they cut away the commercial, and then like, like maybe five or six minutes later, nine minutes later, they came back, and one of the first things they said was, you "No know, CPR has been performed." You know, for about the last nine minutes, they've been doing CPR on 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 Mar Hamlin, and I looked at my buddy, I'm like, "I told you," and he was like, "How did you know that?" I'm like, "It's just like right, Jason. I mean, yeah. explain it. I mean, can you explain any better than me? I mean, just it's a feeling it's- when you just seeing
2: it." Yeah, you can tell you can feel it. I didn't see it either, but um, yeah, yeah, watching that injury the way it went down, it was it looked like a nothing tackle, it wasn't a big deal. He did have his arms stretched outwards, and the guy kind of contacted him with his shoulder, and then he rolled over and landed on top of him, so it was almost like two collisions with the chest. And then, like you said, he stood up, kind of like teetered, and then went down Mm -hmm. immediately. And like you were saying, like, when we're on those calls, when we're in those situations, you can just look at each other and you kind of know what you're thinking. You, your, your partner will reach for the next thing that you were thinking you were going to grab because he's thinking right. the same thing. We're all trained similar. Right. And right. Um, yeah, like yep. most people would be frozen or working so hard to try and get something done that nothing actually gets done. You know, like right. we've got that saying, slow is fast. You know, you yeah, take your time, right. you do it, <laughs> yeah. and you know, go to the next fast step. That's slow, oh, step. It's slow, slow, As it's
0: fast. Yep. <laughs> yep. But yeah, it was just, it was just a look from what was happening there. And it was pretty surreal. That whole, you know, the next hour was just glued to the TV, trying to get any information. And as we'll talk about later, then we started seeing some amazing things happen that never happens on national TV. Especially live broadcasts, and that's that's live prayer and live live faith being broadcast out to the world on on this you know this type of network. And we'll like I said, we'll we'll get we'll touch base on that on one of our talking points a little bit later. But you know, it was it was a pretty surreal night, you know. So yeah. Oh, we're I can hear you, Ralph. You're you're out. Yeah, I'm sorry. Now uh, we're back. How, uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> My apologies. I, I, I'd like to mute so myself because I don't want to interrupt what you guys are saying. No, I'm you're trying fine. To listen to every word you say. It's <laughs> so fascinating. Yeah. How? How is someone? How can you identify? Because if I see something like that happen I, in a football game, I've never That's seen right. anything. So to me, it's like cardiac arrest. So the typical. Yeah. How, oh, it was. How, how it did was you a, know? Like, how did you know?
0: Well, you know, I, you know, just to kind of back up a little bit too. I've seen two other cardiac arrest incidences on the television in a sporting event. And one was a hockey player that came off the ice and had, you know, hindsight 2020, he had some sort of known, you know, cardiac history. And he went down on the bench and in between the wall and the bench, and they had to start working him in the in between that space. And then they lifted him up and took him to the back hallway. I was watching that event live as well. And then there was another hockey player, and we're going to touch base on this, about one of the more popular um, thought processes of what happened to DeMar Hamlin actually happened to a hockey player from the St. Louis Blues. And he d- it did the same thing. Something hit him in his chest. It, it made his heart skip a beat, if you will, <laughs> for lack of medical terms that we're going to get into a little bit later and, and and he went down and they started cpr on him and he survived so you know this is one of those things where you know once again even though i wasn't on scene i saw the looks and the faces it's a different look than you've then and it's and and us like jason and i who were trained to know what to look for in those situations we go off the cues of Family members. It's different when a family member has someone who's breathing in the house and they want your help. It's a way different, different feeling and a different look and a different urgency. than they come out and they meet you at the front porch and they're saying, you need to get in there. You need to get in there. And there's no pulse. It's a totally different. It's a totally different feel. Like I said, I've seen it, uh, you know, a hundred times or more. I mean, I've been in the medical field for 25 years. I've been around a lot of cardiac arrest. So. But yeah,
1: so Jason, let me get, let me go to you. So how, how if you were to, to look at this young man, the second it had happened, I would imagine when it happened, I didn't see it live. Uh, uh, the, all the, the, the entire training staff came out. Yeah. Let's say you're part of that training staff. You guys, you, you, he's lying there. You kneel. What is it? What is the first sign that says to you cardiac arrest?
2: Well, before even thinking that it was cardiac arrest, even if I was assuming that as I was getting there, your primary Thing that you're looking at is uh, cervical spine injury. So you're gonna run up and hold C spine. Whoever the first person is there will hold C spine, and
1: then you, you're gonna look say, at what is C spine. Oh, I'm sorry. You're gonna immobilize you basically head. hold their
0: head in place, yeah. yeah. And okay. that person's right there. Like if my mic is their head, I'm behind them. And when you once you to get to C spine, then now you can look and see if there's chest rise. Mm-hmm. You can see if they're conscious level. You know, so that's standard operating procedure. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: And it's much easier with a big football helmet you know you can put your legs on either side now you can check a pulse you can look for breathing yeah. um, you can you know you don't want to startle the person if they're you know maybe they just are out of it and then you come up and you startle and now they jump up but you do have to kind of uh, you know wake them a little see if, they're, if they if they can get them to wake up while you're checking for a pulse and for breathing and um yeah that once you're able to establish that there's no pulse you're not even looking for breathing at that point right it's you cpr time Yes. So right yeah, away, another know, thing you know, too, it's a
1: cardiac it's a cardiac issue, right.
2: right? You know, and
0: and the one thing Jason and I will both, both agree with is that we kind of go into situations thinking the worst case scenario, yeah. what's, oh my gosh, I've got to do CPR on this patient. And then sometimes it peels back really quick because they're talking mm-hmm. to you like, okay, I'm not going to do it. Like we go into almost every, we try to approach every emergency situation, no matter what the dispatch says or no matter what someone tells us, when we get to that patient, we approach it in our brain. And our decision-making tree, and we all we both have the same concept in our brain because we were all trained nationally and took the same exact national test to yeah. train us the same way, basically, is the fact that we go in expecting the worst-case scenario. You know, a lot of the times, it's not the worst-case scenario. We, yeah. we peel back our, our intensity, and then we start talking to the patient if they're alive, if they're, I mean, if they're conscious. But, you know, when it comes to getting to that patient, and here's Demar, I can only imagine what they saw was he was unresponsive. He probably, he could have been breathing. There's, you know, that sometimes not breathing doesn't always stop when the car, when the heart stops, but there could have been no breathing. And then as soon as they see that, and there's no response, one of the first things you do when someone's not responding to you at all, even if it is a concussion, you're still checking a pulse because that's the next thing you want to know. Does this guy have a heartbeat? He's not unconscious. If he was just, you know, if it was just his, you know, arm hurt or if he was conscious and his neck hurt, he would be able to look at me and blink. And but if he's not doing any of that, I gotta go right for checking a pulse. And you check it, you know, here or you check it here, you know, and and if they don't have that, well, you've got yeah, you, you start it. You just you no pulse, guys. I'm starting CPR. I mean yeah. Jason and I both have called that out in our in our in our past easily. Guys, mm-hmm. I have no pulse even on people that had a pulse when they got it the back in my truck. I have no pulse right now. Let's go. And it's all. Kyle,
2: have you done CPR through shoulder pads? Can you imagine? No, no. It's I've never done CPR building. through
0: shoulder pads. The good news is, is that, you know, Jason will test to this too. We train yearly on how to take shoulder pads and helmets off. That's something that's mm-hmm. just built into our standard yearly training. Like yeah. we'll have it again at, at basically the end of summer, beginning of fall. We'll have a real quick refresher on how to take off a helmet how mm-hmm. to take off shoulder pads. And the good thing about shoulder pads is literally you cut the middle strings and you cut the two, two yeah. straps underneath the arms with scissors, and it just peels back like, a, like an onion, mm-hmm. and they're gone. Yeah, Helmet could be a little bit different. But a good thing is, is most of the new helmets have the press button release. Yeah, press the button. From it's not, it's not a screwdriver anymore to take off the
2: little holders on the on the
0: on the face mask. It's a press button release, and you can take the and then the helmet just comes nice and easy.
2: I imagine that when they first got onto them and they started compressions, Mm -hmm. yeah, for at least a minute, maybe thirty seconds, they were doing it right to the shoulder shoulder pads. pads.
0: Yeah, they were, and I think that'd be okay. I mean, you're just compressing down, Mm you're compressing down, you know, something on top of like a big coat. You know, I've done compressions on somebody before. I've exposed them just through a big yeah. coat or a big shirt or something. So, you know, same concept. Just as long as you get down those two inches, you know.
1: Mm. Jason, Jason, for for us that are totally ignorant when it comes to this, because I wouldn't know, I, I I I couldn't begin to know how to identify someone like that. Tell 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 us what tell us what cardiac arrest is. What causes it, and then we can get into what to what to do and what not to do. So Tell us, what causes cardiac arrest? What is it?
2: Think of your heart as the hardest working muscle in your body. It never gets to take a break because if it did, it's cardiac arrest. Okay. So cardiac arrest is when your heart totally stops. Um, there's no electrical activity or sometimes you'll have some electrical activity but there's no uh, output from the heart. So it's a total stop in, um, in cardiac output and there's no blood pressure you have no blood pressure, there's no blood going up to the brain to keep you conscious. Once you lose consciousness, eventually you'll stop breathing and it's that quick path towards death. Um, there's different things that can cause cardiac arrest. Um, there's um, blood clots to the, uh, the uh, coronary arteries. You can have a, like in this case, what's supposed is that it's a, an electrical disruption. So if you, there's a there's something called the sinoatrial node, which is uh, the beginning of the electrical system of the heart. From there, you have um, the AV node and a Bachmann's bundle, and these things are just different electrical centers. Basically, the the uh, SA node initiates it. It fires across to the other side, so it starts on the right side of the heart, goes over to the left side of the heart, and stops at the AV node where it kind of takes a break. When that fires, when those two, when that first node fires, that triggers both of your of your um, uh, help me, Kyle. Um, atriums. I'm sorry. First, triggers, yeah, I didn't know where you're going. <laughs> I got stuck. Yeah. It triggers first right. um, your your right and left atriums <laughs> to fire, then it pauses in the AV node, which is the other electrical mm-hmm. node, and it waits a second to allow those both atriums to fully empty and the ventricles to fully load, and then the AV node sends right. that yeah. signal down through the rest of of the uh, Purkinje fibers, what they're called. And that allows now the the ventricles to fire. And that's what pushes the blood out through the aorta, up to your brain and down to the rest of your body. And if you don't have that process going, you're not getting any oxygen, you're not getting any nutrients, and it's the beginning of cell death. And um,
1: there's multiple things
2: that can lead to that. how
1: How long can that process, let's say it stops. How long can that process stop functioning before someone actually dies. So, but,
0: you know, and I've got, got a chart later on I'm going to talk about and when we can we can throw it up now. But basically, you know, when it comes to the slippery slope of death of cardiac arrest, about 10% survivability goes down every minute without CPR. So by the time if you think about how long it takes for someone to call, you know, different than DeMar Hamlin. DeMar Hamlin, they were right on him. They had no CPR within the the first minute of discovering he had no pulse but just a run-of-the-mill person who has a cardiac arrest if it's just in you know you gotta think 75 you know what 80 percent of cardiac arrest happen at home um that they don't happen on the football field <laughs> they don't happen in public a lot of more more than not they happen at home so this is a a very good time to if you don't know cpr we're going to give you some tools for that a little bit later but basically what happens is for every minute you go by, you decrease your from 100% survivability, you go down 10% for every minute that you're not doing CPR. So, if someone calls 911 and CPR is not happening and they take a minute to describe what's going on, now they're down to 90% survivability rate. Then, if say, it takes, let's say it takes someone, the dispatch, you realize we've got a cardiac arrest here. Okay, I need you to start CPR, put your hands on their chest and start pushing for some reason, sometimes people still, re- funny as it seems, people refuse that, even loved ones. I don't know how to do that, I'm not doing it, I'm gonna hurt them. So our dispatch is now, you know, basically telling people to do this, not asking anymore and trying to get, and that increases the number of people be, or the the bystanders to do CPR that may not know it. Um, but you gotta think, then they call us, the tones go off, we jump in our truck, takes us, you know, 30, 60 seconds to get into the truck and get rolling towards the scene. Then we have an average, national average is what we'd like to have, at least in a rural or in an area like I'm at, we'd like to be on scene within four minutes. So let's just say it's four minutes, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter, of course, it's average. So now we are now six minutes into this cardiac arrest. What's our percentage at now if the compressions don't start? Now we're at, you know, we're six minutes in that's 10%. We're down to 40% survivability rate, right? So then we get out of our truck. We got to get our equipment. We got to get in the house. That's about another minute or so. We start CPR as soon as we get to the patient and see that there's no pulse happening. So now we're seven to eight minutes into this situation that hopefully was witnessed, right? Let alone if it wasn't. Um, now we start compressions. Now we're down to that about 20% survivability rate if everything goes right at that point. And that's why we we train yearly on CPR. Sometimes more than once a year, we train on CPR and how to rotate and get people to to not have pauses, to compress, compress breaths, to get our equipment on, to get the to get things on so we can read what kind of rhythm that they're in, so we can shock a shockable rhythm if it comes about, you know, and once we get to them and, and are doing life saving measures. Uh, so <clears throat> But the busy, the biggest statistic is this next slide you'll see here. You can see here on this one where the red line goes. The red line is when CPR is started early, and you can see how the curve happens. Instead of it being a, a sharp curve down of death, it is now flattened out. And now our survivability rate with early CPR and everything in place with with everything that we do once we get to the patient, we've got a f- over fifty percent survivability rate if you can just do CPR on scene was as soon as you see it happen or as soon as you realize they're unresponsive, unconscious, starts CPR. That's what that's what the lay person needs to know. And we'll, we're going to send you at the end of this, we're going to talk about a, a website that you can go to and we're going to put in the link below that will actually teach you within a few pages of a web page how to do CPR and do it effectively because it's a really good website, let alone being able to take a class yeah. locally. <laughs>
1: Oh, very interesting yeah. Jason let me let me go to you for a second here. Um, there are different types of cardiac arrest from what I understand now let me yeah. just preface this by saying this I'm going to give you an example and I, and I want you to see if you, how you can answer this as you know I'm a, I'm a heart open heart surgery uh, uh, survivor mm-hmm. but my mm-hmm. situation was different I look at Hamlin's situation. Um, I just felt <clears throat> I didn't feel well, you know. Whatever. I'm, I don't want to talk about myself, but I just got myself up one morning. I didn't feel right. It was going on for. I went to the doctor. I went to my heart specialist, who's a very dear friend of mine, and he put me on the stress uh, on the um, what do you call it the uh, the, treadmill. Yeah, the
2: treadmill. Yeah. And he
1: did the stress test, and one minute into it, I, I felt like I was going to faint, and and so he says to me, he says, "You're going straight to the hospital," and uh, next day I was under the knife. Here's, here's the thing though. Here's what I what I don't understand. You have a young man who's 24 years old, he's at the prime of his career. He's an athlete. He's trained for this. I had symptoms. I felt certain things. And I later found out that I had a 90% blockage of all my arteries. 90%. Yeah. The, the surgeon said to me, He says, You should have been dead three months ago. Now, how can that happen to someone like and then someone like me in that situation and then you have a guy like like uh, Hamlin who, from what I understand showed no symptoms whatsoever. he had no history of that, didn't feel anything and and all of a sudden he gets tackled something which he's probably been tackled hundreds of times throughout his his young career. and then all of a sudden he has he's he's in that situation he has he goes into cardiac arrest. how do you how do so, you differentiate one from the other?
2: they're two totally separate situations. So yours is more of a chronic condition. And, um, basically you had that buildup happening over time. And also you're a lot older than he is as we get older and we have blockages, um, your body starts to try and build, uh, other routes. They're called accessory pathways. So it'll actually start building other blood vessels around the blockages. So it's more likely, like let's say you ended up having an actual cardiac event other than just what happened to you in the stress test. You have a higher chance of surviving it with less uh, heart damage than somebody that's younger. But this is an issue, yeah, because you have those pathways that he wouldn't have. But his issue is, you know, presuming the diagnosis that we're going to talk about in a bit, it was an electrical problem. So can you imagine if you have well, this is a blood pump is what your heart is, but let's say you had a water pump, right? And it's all controlled by a computer and you start flicking that computer and you throw off those wires, it's not going to be able to pump effectively. That's in essence what happened to him. So we have the atrium at the top, the ventricles at the bottom, and the ventricles, the left ventricle, is really the workhorse of the heart. And if those ventricles are not able to coordinate when they're pumping so that the entire ventricle pumps at the same time, you're not going to be able to produce blood pressure or cardiac output. So your case is a blockage of the blood that actually feeds the muscle of the heart as opposed to what pumps out to the body, where his problem is the electrical system of the heart itself not allowing it to pump at all.
1: You see, as a lay person, I look at this and I look at this young man, I'm saying, were there any signs that this could possibly happen to him? No. No. I, I just, it doesn't it, even make sense. If it was,
0: me. if it was truly, you know, and go ahead. I mean, and you know, uh, the re- research that's been done on, how do you print it? Commotio is yeah. the, is what the popular opinion is what happened to him mainly in baseball players sometimes in hockey players like the hockey player that got hit the blues it, it is a, a very very extremely rare situation and jason can talk more about it about like statistics and stuff on it so you know now that we've you know talked about you know a general type of heart attack that you had that could have led if you would have had a blockage, you could have very well led to a cardiac arrest because when you have a blockage in a heart From the blood feeding the heart Now your heart dies And when the heart muscle dies Then it can't pump And then what Jason was talking about With when it comes to Hamlin Is his electrical You know our electrical beat Was his electrical beat Was interrupted And the commotial cordis, Which is the popular diagnosis At this point in time It's not been completely stamped 100% But it's a very popular opinion At this point About what happened to him And Jason can explain a lot more about it
1: could you do that, Jason? Explain a yeah, little sure. bit about
2: that? So basically what commotion cordis is, so for your um, electrical cycle in your heart, there's different, there's a there's a big waveform It's called the PQRST, right? Your when your P wave, which is the first inflection on an EKG, right, that is when your atrium is firing. So that's atrial depolarization. Then you have a wide uh, a wide waveform, which is your QRS. That is when your ventricles are firing. So if you think of, uh, we could probably put it up a nice EKG rhythm. yep Yeah, so you will see a little one, that's your P wave. Then you see a big wide one, which is your QRS, that's your ventricles firing. And then afterwards, you'll see it go straight again, and then you'll see a T wave, which is uh, ventricular repolarization. So what they found uh, with animal studies is that during that T wave, where the ventricles are getting ready to fire again, that's their resting time for the ventricles. If if a significant impact happens before the peak of that T wave, so right around the midpoint when it starts to rise before it gets to the very top, um, basically it throws off the electrical conduction of the heart. And if you consider this, so it's getting ready to fire, it's in its resting phase, and then it takes a serious impact there's something called uh, cardiac cell automaticity. So imagine there's millions of cells there. The nerves can only, can't reach all of them. So the ones that they reach, uh, that, that the signal actually gets to initially are gonna fire first. And then it's almost like if you tap your buddy next to you, hey, it's your turn. And then he taps the next guy and it's his turn and his turn. That's what cardiac automaticity is. So in the middle of this resting phase, now you have this huge impact and the cells do what they're trained to do. They tell their buddy, they fire, and they tell their buddy to fire, and then they tell the next buddy to fire. But then as they're starting to fire, then the SA node initiates, it gets to the AV node, and then they, they tell the, now the, the nerves are telling the uh, cells to fire. So, but some of them already started firing. So you end up in ventricular fibrillation, which is basically where it's, it's not a coordinated uh, firing of, uh, of the cells. And, and no you get real
0: love <laughs> Yeah. So it's love like a bunch me. of people yeah. doing
1: this stuff at the same time. Everybody's doing their own yeah. thing. The, They're not you know, coordinated.
0: The easiest yeah, the easiest way, you know, when 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 a, when the heart goes into ventricular fibrillation, it, it quivers. You know, a heart's supposed to pump like you know loved up. It's supposed to, you know, it's supposed to beat, right. Well, what happens when when you go into V Fit, it, it kind of wiggles. It's kind of just like this, like it doesn't have any it just it just kind of shakes, it's kind of shimmies. It doesn't actually contract and do all that stuff that he just described. It just kind of wiggles. And then we see that on a monitor. And when we see it on a monitor, Monitor, it's one of the only shockable rhythms that can get, and we shock it with electricity, and funny enough, you know, that, that it's the electrical conduction that got sh- shocked when he got hit in the chest, and then the way we get back when the heart is wiggly like that is we shock it again with, with, with electricity through a defibrillator or, a, or an AED as some people have heard it or, you know, in the, in the lay terms, but we use a defibrillator, which is the same thing as an AED. Um, uh, but we have, we can actually see the rhythm where an AED, you can't see the rhythm, um, but our monitors, and most likely the monitor that he had on him would be a, a high level, you know, cardiac monitor. And they could see the rhythm. And they say, Hey, that's shockable. Let's go ahead and shock them. And that's why they would get him back right there on the field. And that's another thing to, to keep in mind is you don't, when you know pop relief is oh my god they have a cardiac arrest, I gotta get them to the hospital. That's ancient, right? We stay in play now. I mean, yeah. for lack of better terms, we stay and we work that person because what they found is your highest chance of survivability is if you give that person compressions and shocks if they're if they're eligible for a shock with that. Rhythm. Well, but at some point it's you to have to monitor.
1: you have to stop and take them to the hospital. When do you know?
0: Well, that when you get ROSC. So, um, I don't think they would have done this. Like my protocol, I I work a patient for 20 minutes, and if that patient is not viable after 20 minutes, I don't transport them to the hospital. I we call the coroner, and we go have a big, long, hard discussion with family. Yeah, because what they found that it's just it actually puts the first responder in 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 more jeopardy going lights and sirens with a non-viable patient trying to make them viable and they've got study after study after study that say that if you've worked a cardiac arrest for 20 minutes and you've got certain other parameters that you're looking at and you've never shocked this person and they were never in that shockable rhythm then there is no viability to that patient there's other things look at. i'm not going to get into all the stuff we look at but there's other things that our our equipment tells us how how far down and how far bad that patient's heart is and what the body is doing when it's not not doing the right thing. So we can call it on scene. Now, in the case of Damar Hamlin, we did get ROSC, return of spontaneous circulation is what they call it. They did get get ROSC on Hamlin, so they transported him. Now, I still feel that if they they were 20 minutes into that arrest and they didn't have a, a pulse yet, of his own. I still feel because of the brevity of the situation, being in the middle of a football field, they would have still loaded him up and taken him to the hospital. That's just what you, know. same thing as if you are in a cardiac arrest for the kid, you load that kid up and you take him to the hospital. You want to show everybody that you're doing everything you can, you know? So I do feel that he still would have been taken to the hospital, even if he didn't have a heartbeat come back on the field. But he luckily did. And Jason, you know, what was the you, I thought the one time when we talking about this originally about this show and and when we first met, what, what was the percentage of survivability with this cortis uh, so, syndrome?
2: Yes, yeah, so let me give you a little more. So I'm on the National Comitial Cortis Registry. And what they okay. did was they put together 69 well-characterized cases including 34 occurring during organized competitive athletics and 35 that occurred during informal recreational sports at home, school or playground, or during other non-sporting activities. So ages range from 1 to 38, but the mean was 12 years old. What they have mm-hmm. found is that between 12 and around 22 is where most of the cases happen. Um, so 70% of these were under 16 years old. The most common sports involved were youth baseball, where they had thirty-nine. Softball, they had seven. Ice hockey, they had seven. Um, but the baseball, three... Ralph,
0: the baseball hitting them.
2: Yeah, these oh, are projectiles hitting
0: them in the chest. Yeah, projectiles.
2: But then they had three in football, and two in soccer. Oh, I'm sorry, three each in football and soccer. So I guess six total. So three, three football, three soccer, and then two in karate and two in rugby. So. It's interesting because some of the sports, like karate, there's no projectile. They're not throwing ninja stars at each other. <laughs> well, but there's but, feet. But, <laughs> there's yeah. feet and, and
0: fists. Yeah, you know? I don't I mean, Yeah.
2: So they so. said chess blows were produced in 52, so 75% by a projectile that was part of the game itself, such as baseballs or hockey pucks. The other 17 events, 25% did not evolve a projectile, but rather were the result of broad surface bodily contact with the victim's chest, such as in a collision with a teammate or a karate kick. So that's kind of what we're dealing with, right?
0: But, but still, you, what was the total number of the national registry of it?
2: So yeah, of these cases, because these are they only put cases in here that are well documented. So they, right. they had witnesses from the beginning to the end. But uh, there's about 10 to 30 around the world every year of this. So not very much because if you think about, no. there's so many sports and so many athletes. There so many out sports
0: there. happening all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but, hold but on, I, man, I thought you mentioned that the that the survivability, you know, the survivability yes. was. Yeah. You know, what was the survivability percentage you gave? Of thirty-five percent Yeah. Thirty-five percent.
2: Uh, is due to bluntness, okay, or sufficient magnitude to result in cardiac arrest, is not uniformly fatal, and about 10% survive the incident. Um, May occur in circumstances unnoticed with sports and even lead to blah, blah, blah. So they're saying 10%. Uh, Another study that I read put it at 33 to 35% um, when CPR is initiated immediately on scene. So So
0: that means that... DeMar Hamlin was a 35 percenter.
2: Yeah. So there was a
0: 75 percent chance that he was going to die. Yeah. But he didn't. Even exactly. with CPR starts immediately. So mm-hmm. that's a huge, that's huge because, you know, we're saying, we're saying that a cardiac arrest un, or witness cardiac arrest at home or in, you know, not caused by a projectile, Ralph, is we can save up to 50 percent of people. So a 50, 50 chance you're going to survive a witness. Cardiac arrest, that's not an impact like that. Just a regular old fashioned, if you would have kept on going for three more days or four more days, you could have had a cardiac arrest to survive you and a 50 50 chance when everything is in early CPR and all the EMS stuff systems put into place properly. So to say that this commotio cordis is only a 35% survival rate with CPR initiated very quickly is a huge deal. Because yeah. he's a very low percentage to survive that,
2: and he did. Yeah, there's so many rarities here. Right. Is there yeah. a
1: certain part of the body? Mm-hmm. Is this uh, being hit in the chest area, or is there another part of the body? Do you know that it could cause something like this, or does it have no. to be in the area of the heart?
2: It has to be the heart, um, and it has to be in that T wave. So, right when the ventricles are like resting and getting ready to fire again, right at that moment. So. so you know, if you think about it, an impact from the back side could potentially cause it too, but there's not any documented cases of it. Um But your heart's just, a lot
0: closer to the surface of your chest, Yeah, than, you know you got your spine and on your lungs to protect from the back of the blow, <clears throat> from a blow happening to the back of a of a person. But when yeah. it comes to, you know, if you think about it, if you've ever if you've ever had your heart beat, uh, like like I feel like my heart's beating. Like you've, you've got done race. You can put your hand on your chest and you can feel your heartbeat right through your chest. Cause the heart's mm-hmm. not much deeper than the thickness of your bones on the front part of the chest. It sits yeah. in, it sits on the front side of our chest. It doesn't sit behind lungs. Like it does. If you're looking at us from the back, it's right up front. Mm-hmm.
1: G- gentlemen, mm-hmm. as you know, I have a law background, so mine's a legal background and we're, we're very cynical. This is the way it, I hear your explanation. And I, I find this Hamlin thing to be basically what I said before, an anomaly. I mean, this is how many – I don't know how many other cardiac arrest situations there have been in football throughout the history of football. I'm sure we can research that. There's
0: there, There's been a few, like, practices on, like, hot days and truly, okay. like, dehydrated. You know, there's been some stuff like that. And, you know, I know that there was a big case in um, – I think it was – was it not Wisconsin, but um, Minnesota had – I believe Minnesota – college football had a player die on the practice field uh, because of not getting enough liquids. And he was -hmm. complaining to his coach that he felt dizzy, but they ignored him. And, you know, that's, that, that was pretty, uh, but that didn't happen here, Kyle.
1: That would, that there were no, no, that didn't happen here. So when you
0: just asked about football in general, still very few.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. So I look at this and my legal mind says there has to be something more to this. There has to be something, there had to be some pre-existing conditions, something wrong with this young man that wasn't working for this to happen. Because when you talk about 100 and something years of football, and this has been going on forever, and and uh, notwithstanding those exceptions that you talked about, dehydration, those are pre-existing mm-hmm. conditions. If someone's yeah. and, dehydrated, and you see we we don't I'm know if
0: he was dehydrated. It was early in the game, so we don't feel yeah, that he well, was. But he could okay. have been dehydrated from before. Right. I don't know. You know, see, that's so stuff that we don't know. You know, uh, I, and I and my, and then,
1: my legal mind says there's a cat somewhere in the bag that nobody's left <laughs> well out you know yet.
0: jason jason also too when that that first night we all met together to talk about having this type of, of official podcast you know that's that was we had, a, we had a much longer conversation than a podcast we've kind of condensed that conversation down now tonight but you know I, uh, one thing that jason mentioned was that they tried to get Pigs, which is anatomically, oh, yes. uh, anatomically, a pig is the closest thing to a human. Their heart is built about the same. Their their structures are about the same. Resistance, they have the same resistance when it comes to shocking them. If you're trying to do, you know, defibrillation, so a pig is the closest per thing than than doing tests on on humans. Right. Um, so you know, one thing that Jason mentioned was they did they tried to send pigs into commocio cordis by hitting them at the precise time that they could see on a monitor and get this timing down and what he what he mentioned to me and and I don't know if you remember t- talking to us about that that yeah. but it basically you know basically came about was some pigs were just more susceptible to commercial cordis and others never could get into it even when hit at the right exact time and the right mm-hmm. exact that
1: for for the benefit of all the viewers define commercial cortis again just so we can so, tie this in
2: basically uh, it's Ventricular fibrillation caused by an impact in the at, at the uh, during the cardiac cycle of the T wave. Okay. Before the T wave peaks.
1: Which is very rare. If, if, Which, if, and you got to
0: think, a heartbeat is very fast. I mean, like it's faster than that. You know, I mean, like we're talking about a T wave abnorm- a, a hit the chest when the T wave is moving and it's faster than I could snap my. So fingers.
1: it's very rare.
2: Yeah. And what they found in that study with the pigs was that um, I think it was 60% of them, oh, I'm sorry, 30% of them never went into commotial cortis, even though they were getting hit at the right time. Another 30% would um, produce what are called premature ventricular contractions and kind of like a V-fib rhythm, but then they would snap out of it and they would never go into true commercial cortis where they go into V-fib and they need to be resuscitated. And then another 30% not only went into commotional cortis when they were hit, but they would go back into it like more readily. So there's gotta be some component underlying. And if if you think of the heart as a sodium potassium pump um, in the sense that when it's firing and when it's um, getting ready to fire, it has either more sodium or more potassium in it and also calcium component as well. If there's something wrong with the balance of your electrolytes, it's more likely for you to um, create these uh, different electrical rhythms and uh, so it, it's possible that there could be an electrolyte component to this um, I was trying to find a study that kind of you know correlated that but I you know they talked about it but they never actually you know checked the pigs electrolytes before doesn't they did happen
0: it happen you know it doesn't yeah. I mean you know it doesn't it's so rare it doesn't hit the radar to be the fact that they've done a study on pigs blows me away because it is such a rare abnormality, you know.
2: Yeah, and it was pretty recent too. Let me see.
0: Yeah. I mean it's Such a rare abnormality that that it 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 shocks me that there was even a pig study. But in like yeah. you just said, it only happened a year ago. That study never oh, been. Listen, gentlemen, before. we're we're
1: gonna have to leave it here, but we're gonna follow we're gonna make this into a series because there's just so much information. And I've got so many questions. My head's about to explode with all the questions that I have <laughs> because I try to wrap – and I'm sure that people are listening to this. They try to wrap their heads around this. And not only that, from an educational standpoint, at some point I, we would want you, gentlemen, because, Kyle, I know that you you actually give CPR classes. I'm sure, uh, uh, Jason, yeah. you have too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm actually you know,
0: actively giving one – I'm giving three next week. So. Okay. I so I over 35 yeah. CPR classes. It was weird, this timing of all this because yeah. – I'd given thirty-five classes in the month of December and early January, wow. and this yeah. game happened, and then now CPR is being discussed, like like openly on TV, and mm-hmm. and you know go learn how to do CPR, and people talking about it, and I would, and and I know Jason would definitely you know resonate this same exact thing. If you have never had anybody teach you CPR, please 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 look into going to find a class, either, and if you can't find a class, I'm gonna put up a video. Here at the end of this this episode, that's going to be a very simple 47-second video that shows you exactly how to start CPR. And all that we care about as caregivers, Jason and I will, will attest to this, that we just care that you're pushing on the chest before we get there because that's mm-hmm. the highest chance of survivability. Even if you don't know how to do it correctly, as long as you have watched a video and you Think you can press find the center of their chest and press down hard enough you think that you're pushing down about two inches and then coming back up and doing it over and over again fast about 100 beats a minute some people don't know what that is just sing the song staying alive in your head and come down on that beat of uh 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 that's about 100 beats a minute okay so if now, you now you're promoting do that, the bg i mean is that what you're doing? <laughs> like right now if you yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> i love that they song talk to <laughs> so if even even this is now now i am this is not a cpr class i have to have a disclaimer here this is not a cpr class but if all you know is what i just said you're still going to be better off doing what i just talked about or watching this video and doing what they explain than just standing back and saying i don't want to touch them you are protected under good Samaritan laws if it's a strip. if it's your loved one for the love of all that is holy push on their chest if you don't well, let me put better. a
1: disclaimer to what you just said because the good mm-hmm. Samaritan laws I'm not sure but every state has their own laws
0: okay okay and there,
1: some yeah these good Samaritan as laws long as it's not, state, you know as,
0: as far as I as far as I know as the way that I understand it and and all the things I've ever done when I'm you know because being a paramedic and knowing what to do that's a whole nother bag of worms when I'm not on the medic when I'm not on the medic and I'm just average Joe blow on the street and I cross the cardiac arrest. Okay. Wait a second. L- legally, wait a second. If I do the wrong thing, could I get in trouble? Well, I'm mm-hmm. protected as well under the duty to act law in my yeah. state. Right. Your standard so is I've got a duty to act. I can't just yeah. not do it. Come, you know, come to find out of, uh, you know, just, you know, I have done bystander CPR before, before EMS has gotten there. I've been on car accidents that I've, I've witnessed and somebody wasn't didn't have a pulse and I've started CPR in the car because I couldn't get them out. They were too big. So by myself. So, I mean, I've done that stuff, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately in my life that above and beyond when I'm on duty. Yeah. But it's one of those things where as long as you, you know, and we're trying to make it more simple. The the the, the, the medical world is trying to make it more simple and less scary for people to start CPR if they witness an, uh, uh, somebody going into what they feel is a cardiac arrest, which means unconscious unresponsive you can start cpr per the guidelines of what we all learn about called the aha american heart association unconscious unresponsive no pulse start cpr right? well, i don't think they're doing a good so, enough job kyle um well uh, gotta, uh, part of it part of it is people don't want to know people are like well i'll never yeah, be put true. in that situation part yeah, of it true. is wait a second the mouth, mouth i don't want to know mouth it used to be mouth the mouth Yep. Yeah. It was going to be called mouth to mouth. It was called you when you were growing up. When I was growing up, it was called mouth to mouth. It wasn't called it wasn't called hands only CPR. OK, right. it was called mouth to mouth. Nobody wants to put their mouth on people, especially not after a damn pandemic. You know, well, that depends. No one's put their mouth on anybody, <laughs> let alone, you know, I barely, put, you know, one of those things. It's like we're no longer asking you to breathe for them because what we yeah. found out in all these studies that we did. And all these studies that were huge, 24,000 CPR patients by the medical field in the EMS world, we found that just compressing at a rate of 100 and deep, when you release, you bring a little bit of air on that recoil. When that chest comes back up, you suck in just enough air for that patient to be viable until EMS can get Get there and do do more right, we're going to talk
1: about that in more detail in the next episode <laughs> where you can really and we'll i know you were in a show at the end of this we're going to show a short video that 47 second yep. video but perhaps on the and next a website episode, that'll be in
0: the link yeah, yep.
1: and the web, yeah. And, but we'll we'll get more into that there's so many so many areas of this subject what is that
0: so wow. that must be Jason's Somebody well, got a it, race car going by your house. <laughs> oh yeah. That just happened. It's like a motorcycle. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> yeah,
1: Look, I
2: don't, Jason, before, I, I before, a, before we I'm get it going, uh, uh,
1: Jason, any closing comments and then we'll go to Kyle. So he can basically give us an idea of what we're going to lead into in the next episode. Uh, so you have any, any closing comments on this, Jason,
2: just in closing, um, I guess kind of in preparation for the next video. Um, we'll probably talk about a couple of other things that could have uh, led to this occurring that make it more likely for commercial cortis in a young healthy athlete um but yeah the the rarities not only is commercial cortis so rare but his age he's beyond the average age um the fact that it was non-projectile it just is so rare and the fact that luckily he was resuscitated and he's perfectly fine now he's back home right if the whole thing is rare and there's, like you said earlier, there's gotta be something underlying. So we'll get a little more into that in the next episode.
1: I appreciate that. All right. So Kyle, he's basically led into that. What, what, what what are we going to do? The next next episode,
0: you know, one of the things that uh, another thing I want to bring up about that night is, is when we were all watching this in in real time, it very quick for these national broadcasts that were covering it, including ESPN, Fox News, Fox Sports, I should say, um, the NFL Network, we had something that we have not seen for a long time, other than ridicule. We had open prayer on TV, people praying for this man to survive. And we've had people be really critical about, well, prayer didn't save them, the medical team saved them. And we have some pretty strong opinions about that, or at least I do, because all I know is I only know how to do what I do because somebody up above allows me to do it. (laughs) That's, and I'll share something with you that I haven't really shared with much people. I did did share it with these two gentlemen when we prep for this, for this, for this podcast, but I'll share with you my belief when it comes to the medical field and faith and they are intertwined.
1: Okay. But say that as a teaser for the next one, we're going to, we're going to bring the, we're going to bring the legal aspect into this at some point. We're gonna bring the okay. faith aspect of this because that's where I'm really gonna start ranting on this. Yep. The faith and then aspect and
0: some of the controversial things that the could possibly have led, led to this. Uh, yeah. there's a lot of including the big controversy. The Jibby jack Oh the jibby the jab, The Jibby Jab, ouchie. Only only a, only oh, a week the, before he had go. this. Incident, I know, but, I know. It's, and I have no idea have where I stand on that. <laughs>
1: Well, that's okay just sit back and, and listen to jason and i <laughs> was, yeah. we
0: got a real good idea where we I stand am, on i that. am not i am not saying that you know i must we have not trust me when i tell you the studies aren't, aren't done from all that stuff yet They're oh, yeah, right. right. no, unfortunately and, 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 we're the biggest study known to man when it comes to this right now Happened. literally oh, in real time <laughs> Yeah.
1: (laughs) Hey, thanks for tuning in, folks. Uh, We're going to pick this up next time. Share this with people. This is so important. You share this with people Mm -hmm. because this could save someone's life. You you know, the New York minute, a split second, that could happen to you or your loved one, like I said in my opening remarks, at any second. And I myself, just, I I wouldn't know what to do. Now I do. And and I have an idea. And I'm going to learn from these two gentlemen, and I hope you do, as to if you find yourself in that situation. What would you do? Okay, because you don't get no mulligans on this one. (laughs) Right, that happens. There's no mulligans, like they say in golf. You get one shot at this thing. Okay, so gentlemen, I appreciate. All right, guys, thanks so much. Get up next time. Helping
2: to save a life is easier than you might think. Just start hands-only CPR. The first step is to send someone to call nine one one or call nine one one yourself. Then get directly over the victim. Put the heel of one hand in the center of the chest. Then put your other hand on top of the first. Then push hard and fast in the center of the chest until help arrives. It's important to push, giving 100 to 120 compressions per minute, which is about the same tempo as the song, Stayin' Alive. Let's hope you never have to use hands-only CPR. But if you see a teen or adult suddenly collapse, don't be afraid to try it. Remember, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of the chest until help arrives. Your actions can help save a life.
0: You have just come face to face with the truth. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and hit that bell so you will be notified when we drop new episodes.